This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. I'm really interested to see what the result will be of our hot question today, and I'm looking forward to your calls on the open line as well about RFK Jr., Robert F. Kennedy Jr., of course, the son of the late uh, U.S. Senator Bobby Kennedy, invited to Surrey by the Surrey Board of Trade to give a speech there. Now, he is a prominent anti-vaxxer. So when you listen carefully to what he says, he says, well, no, I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm pro-safe vaccine. He's been very critical of big drug companies and the ingredients in, in uh, vaccines. But the fact is that we've seen a measles outbreak in our city. Take a look what's going on in Edmonton. They've got an outbreak of diphtheria. Like, are you kidding me? Diphtheria. This is what this anti-vax stuff does. So should this guy be invited to speak in the city of Surrey? Now, he's not being invited to talk about vaccines. He's coming to talk about something else. He's coming to talk about the environment and the economy and clean tech jobs. This is his area of expertise. The Surrey Board of Trade sticking by their man saying they're not going to rescind the invitation, but the backlash is on. So our hot question of the day, the Surrey Board of Trade is being criticized for inviting Robert F. Kennedy Jr. to speak at an environmental conference. Kennedy has publicly spoken out against vaccines. So, should the Board of Trade withdraw the invite? Would you say, yes, withdraw the invite, it's inappropriate to have this guy here because of his views, or would you say, no, he should be allowed to speak? At CKNW on Twitter is where you will find the hot question of the day. Make sure you vote there today. Follow me while you are there, please, at Mike Smith News SM. Y-T-H, at Mike Smith News on Twitter. I'll retweet the hot question there. We'll bring you the results uh, during the show. As we talked about off the top of the show, I'm going to talk about Robert F. Kennedy Jr., now the well-known uh, lawyer, environmental activist in the United States. He's been up in British Columbia many times over the years uh, speaking out about issues here. He's been invited to speak at the Surrey Board of Trade. That's coming up a little later uh, this year, he's being asked to talk about the environment and clean tech jobs, but because of his anti-vaccine views, he's known as a very high-profile, prominent anti-vaxxer. The backlash is on now. Some people think he sh- the invitation to speak should be rescinded in British Columbia. The Board of Trade, though, sticking by their man. Here's Board of Trade CEO Anita Huberman. Robert Kennedy, he's a a leader in the environmental movement in North America. He wasn't invited because the Board of Trade in Surrey agrees with all of his positions. Uh, His linkage to the clean tech sector, Silicon Valley, uh, is something that we wanted to hear at our Environment and Business Awards on September 17th. Was his anti-vaccination stance taken into consideration at all? It was, absolutely. We always do background checks on all of our speakers, and many of our speakers have been controversial uh, with the different causes that they promote, which are out of our control. And I completely understand the perspective from the public on this matter, but he is going to be in Surrey in September to speak about the environment, the clean tech sector, and uh, we're going to have a healthy dialogue and uh, and talk about different uh, points of view. Okay, Anita Huberman there, CEO of the Surrey Board of Trade, quite firm there, I thought, in saying he's not going to back down and tell this guy he's not invited anymore. 
He says she says Robert F. Kennedy will uh, and be, show up and speak as invited in September. Let's get the other side of it now. Katie Klun, she's with the pro vaccines group in B.C. They're very uh, active on Facebook, uh, organizing a petition uh, in British Columbia, seeking to have mandatory vaccines in B.C. schools. Katie, thanks for coming on. Hi there. Uh, thanks for doing this. What do you think about RFK Jr. speaking in Surrey? Well, I think it's a little odd, considering he's so anti-science when it comes to vaccines. How much science has he really got right when it comes to the environment? Mm. Um, I also wonder, you know, uh, why we should be giving someone with such a dangerous stance another podium to stand on and to maybe build some more credibility when clearly he's not credible. Okay, what is what is dangerous about his position on this? I mean, if you listen to when he talks about this he he doesn't get a lot of uh, mainstream press by the way he's been on fox news but uh when he does do an interview on there he'll say oh no i'm not anti-vaccine i'm pro-safe vaccine well the vaccines are safe already how much safer can they make them i yeah. mean that's exactly it he's ignoring the science he doesn't see that everything that's in a vaccine yeah it sounds maybe a little scary to people who aren't educated in it but once you know what they're for, it makes complete sense. And they're tiny doses. Yeah. What do you think about, um, we've had a measles outbreak here in, uh, in British Columbia. What about the timing of this invitation when we're, we're concerned about vaccination rates in British Columbia? We've seen some measles, uh, some measles cases, and now we've got this guy coming to town. Well, that's the thing, too, is right now BC is fighting to try and improve our vaccine stance. And it seems a little counterintuitive to have him coming. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? I, right now we have um, the measles outbreak. I mean, it's slowed down now, but we also have whooping cough. Edmonton just had diphtheria. Right. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> right. So, and I mean, it's not like there's no, no one else that could come and speak on this topic. There's many, many Canadians that they could be interviewing with better credentials. Okay, speaking to Katie Klun, she's with the Pro Vaccines in BC group. Katie, do you think that this guy, now he's not being invited to speak about vaccines, as you just heard the, the, the head of the Board of Trades there, he's being invited to speak about the environment and clean tech. Does that mean that anyone who holds an anti-vax view should not be, should, you know, we shouldn't be rolling out the red carpet for someone who has a view like that, even if they're not speaking about the issue? I think so, but that's my personal opinion. I think it's yeah. wrong to be giving them any sort of pedestal when they're promoting something so dangerous for kids. Yeah, because it increases his credibility. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. What is and the... I mean, like I said, if he, if he doesn't believe in the science of, of the vaccines, why are we trusting his point of view on the environment? Like, does he even believe climate change is real? <laughs> I'm, sure he, I'm sure he probably does, but let me ask you this. Um, <laughs> Do you what has been the impact of the anti-vaccine movement? I mean, you call it a, a dangerous movement. What what has been the impact in your mind of it? Well, there's so many children out there that are suffering needlessly. I mean, we've just had an outbreak here. Thank God we didn't lose anybody's lives, but who knows how many of them are now blind or deaf? Um, this isn't these aren't diseases that should be taken lightly. We should be protecting our children, and mm -hmm. they're not. <laughs> Yeah, when you when you take a look down the list uh, of some of his talking points on on the vaccine issue, uh, most of them are, I, I think, probably well known to someone like you who's been very active in the debate. But some of them might. I think one of the reasons that the anti-vaccine movement has gotten traction is when a guy of this uh, profile says something like, 
why do we have mercury in vaccines? Well, see, there's no mercury in vaccines anyway, so that's a moot point. They took it out a long time ago. The only one that still has thermocell in it is the flu vaccine, and I believe if you ask, you can get it without too. But the, our regular yeah. childhood vaccines no longer have that, so why keep bringing it up? Right, right. So Even think- if it did, it was a safe ingredient. It's just people got so nervous, the pressure was on, they took it out. Okay, so his, uh, his arguments have been completely debunked. Pretty much. <laughs> I haven't actually looked into him a whole lot. Um, as I, I don't, today is my C-section. I'm actually going to have my baby after this. But um, this is the first real time I've actually looked more into Robert Kennedy. Um, and, yeah, I just, everything, all the points that anti-vaxxers have right now have all been debunked. Katie, you're having a baby later today. It's a pretty busy day for you. I, I think that shows how passionate you are about this issue. So when you, well, when I'm you worried ha- about this baby, I I don't. I'm scared for the next year before they can get all their vaccines up to date, and you know we're going to have another outbreak. I'm sure, and I don't know what's happening in September as well with the schools. I mean, that's another thing with the timing of when he's coming is. We should be hearing from Adrian Dix on what's happening with the schools um, at the same time an anti-vaxxer rolls into town, right? So, yeah. What do you want? To, what do you want to see happen in the schools? You want mandatory vaccines for vaccinations for all kids in our school system, right? Unless medically exempt, if you have a reason that you can't get uh, vaccinated, for example, allergic or immune deficiencies, et cetera, et cetera, then absolutely rely on the herd. But if your personal belief is the only thing that's stopping you, then no, I don't agree with that. Okay, last question for you. What do you think the uh, Surrey Board of Trade should do? Tell this guy, I'm sorry, your services are no longer required? What? Absolutely, and invite a Canadian. Let's hear somebody from Canada, like... There's so many other people who are more qualified to do this. All right, Katie, thanks for coming on. Good luck. Uh, good luck with the baby later today. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay, thank you. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Katie Klun, she is with the group Pro Vaccines in BC. It's a very active group on Facebook. Uh, she's organized a petition drive calling for mandatory vaccines in the BC school system. Not happy at all with Robert F. Kennedy speaking at a conference by the Surrey Board of Trade later this year, a prominent anti-vaxxer. And should this guy be allowed to speak in Surrey? Remember, he's not being invited to speak about vaccines. He's being invited to speak about the environment and clean tech jobs. But because he's such a prominent anti-vaxxer, the backlash is underway. Should the guy be allowed to talk anyway? 604-331-BUZZ. Let's check in with Keith Baldry now, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. And Keith, I want to talk about the, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, which I think is going to be approved tomorrow again by uh, Justin Trudeau. But let me ask real quickly your take on uh, RFK Jr. and the, and the controversy here. <laughs> oh, I knew you were going to ask me about this. Yeah. I, I don't think they should have invited him in the first place. Having done so, though, I don't see how they back away from this. Uh, he's not, as you mentioned, he's not coming here to talk about it, to you know, spout his anti-vaccination uh, views, which I think are dangerous. I think anti-vaxxers are dangerous people. Uh, I think they endanger children. Uh, but he's here to talk about uh, environment and uh, high tech, which he has some street cred on. Uh, I think this is purely a publicity grab by the Surrey Board of Trade. I mean, you and I would normally never talk about the Surrey Board of Trade luncheons. I mean, who cares? But this one, I think, so, is generating publicity. Yeah, I, see, this is the interesting thing to me is, you know, and people are, people are kind of framing it as a free speech issue on the on the open line today, and I suppose there is that element to it. But the other interesting thing to me is 
the decision-making by the Surrey Board of Trade here. Now, Anita Huberman, who's the head of the Board of Trade, told Simi this morning that when they decided to bring this guy in, of course, they had to talk about his anti-vax views, mm-hmm. and they realized he was a controversial figure, and they decided to book him anyway. So I'm wondering if the Surrey Board of Trade is looking at a lot of the attention around this today and thinking, like, this is great. We're getting a lot of free publicity here. Well, I, again, I, I think that was their chief goal here was yeah. to get get some publicity. I'm not sure it's positive publicity, but maybe they subscribe to the rule of thumb that uh, all publicity is welcome. So it's uh, it's going to generate a big crowd. I mean, they're probably going to sell out, have a bigger audience than they normally would have at these things, probably get a lot more media. See, because things. if you were a member of the Board of Trade on their executive and you're sitting in their boardroom deciding, do we invite this guy or not? What would, you know, I think I would have said, like, do we really want the hassle and trouble and the and the PR headache with this guy? Like, no, get somebody else. But well, I, I think one of the issues here is uh, anti-vaccination views, as I said, are dangerous and they, uh, they yeah. endanger kids and and do you really want to invite someone associated with that type of view uh, viewpoint and that type of so-called movement now having said that he's not coming to talk about that particular subject he's going to right. talk about the I mean I, I interviewed Robert F Kennedy jr years ago uh, when he was very active in trying to protect rivers in in British Columbia that was his sort of uh, his uh, original sort of uh, movement. His he was uh, also here on the Clockwood Sound debates. He showed yeah. up in that log and road yeah, at the talked blockades. To him back then as well. That's when yeah. he was known for an environmental uh, cause, which was very popular in British Columbia, and it was yeah. every reason to invite him to BC. Now he's associated with the anti-vaccination movement. It, even members of the Kennedy family have disowned him and disassociated themselves from him. So he's a lightning rod for controversy. But I think that's exactly what Surrey wanted. Okay, keep phoning me on the buzz line about that one six zero four three three one buzz. Let's talk about the pipeline. Keith, tomorrow, a lot of anticipation that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will approve the Trans Mountain Expansion Pipeline Project again. Mm -hmm. Remember that the court slammed the brakes on it last year. They ordered more consultation with First Nations. That's been done. They ordered more environmental protections. The government says that's been done. Do you anticipate Trudeau now gives the green light to this project again tomorrow? Yes, I do. And I think it's coming after the markets close in Eastern time, which is sometime after 1.30 our time. I suspect uh, Justin Trudeau will be the man in front of the cameras here. This is very much part of his election strategy. He's trying to. He's going to try to make the argument that uh, you know he's he's able to answer both sides of the equation. He's he's in favor of a carbon tax, banning plastic straws. You know, showing showing the the street cred when it comes to the environment, but also protecting res- the resource industry and resource jobs by approving a pipeline. He's going to stress the fact that there's going to be a significant enhancement of, of tanker safety and spill response in uh, in the in the Salish Sea, where the area where the tanker is going to flow through, you know, bitumen's been flowing in those tankers for a few years now. I mean, people think that that there's no bitumen out there. No bitumen is. No, it's out there tankers. right now. It's right in there right now, yeah. and it has been for some time. So Trudeau's going to argue that look. Uh, this is happening anyways. Part of the plan here is to ramp up a multi-billion dollar spill response strategy here, which will have uh, you know tanker escorts that take them out to open seas that have uh, more more resources uh, at the water's edge to uh, you know deploy into action should there be any spill. So it's going to be controversial, but an Ipsos yeah. Street pullout today, another one. And take polls for whatever you want. Uh, a sixty thirty uh, percent uh, in favor of the pipeline. That's consistent with other findings. Uh, people, there's this misconception that British Columbians are against the pipeline. They're not. I mean, there's no evidence yeah. that there's that that a majority of British Columbians are opposed to this project. In it's fact, the other way around. Other way around. It's yeah. consistently a sixty thirty, sixty forty proposition. And Trudeau is betting that voters will break his way come October. Okay, controversial project to say the least. But I think. 
I wonder if Trudeau and his people maybe like the politics of this thing. And I, I think that you mentioned the plastics ban. He's basically saying we can have our cake and eat it, too. Mm-hmm. We can have it all. We can protect the environment with a carbon tax and a plastic ban and a lot of the other stuff. No whales in captivity, all these other things that he's doing on the environment and protecting animals. And he's saying we can have the pipelines, too. We can have it both ways. And I think the, the rollout of the plastic ban was uh, strategically timed for last week to give him that kind of environmental talking point before he says, oh, by the way, we're having a pipeline too. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that good politics for him that he's saying, like, we can have it we can have it all? Because if his opponents are usually on one side or the other, he's well, kind of on both sides. He is, and he, his main opponent, his real only opponent, is Andrew Scheer, the Conservatives, although, you know, the NDP and Greens can bleed votes from him. Uh, but you look at Andrew Scheer, Andrew Scheer's in favor of the pipeline. There's, there's no difference between these two on, on that position. Where Andrew Scheer parts from Trudeau, though, is he's against the carbon He's tax. against it, yeah, he's, a, he's, a, he's on one side of it. And He's on one side, and that's where I think Trudeau is strategically aiming his arrow here, is to voters who are also consider themselves to be on both sides of the issue. They think they are responsibly responsible environmentally. Uh, they're in favor of a carbon tax. They're in favor of getting rid of plastic, uh, but they're also in favor of the reality of that fossil fuels are here for a few more years at least, and and they're, they're not so one-sided on both sides. So on, is this, is this smart, smart politics for Trudeau and trying to go both sides of it? I think, I think it's smart politics. I think if he were to oppose the pipeline, Line, I think he'd lose a lot of that middle ground support to uh, Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives. Again, uh, people misread the, the equate protest and civil disobedience with, with uh, assuming that's the majority of a, pin, a public opinion. Whether you call it the silent majority or whatever, most voters don't line up on the side of that that protest and and you know uh, civil disobedience lines. It's quite the opposite. And Trudeau is making a very calculated uh, guess here that he has to show his his credentials on the environmental side at the same time he has to show his credentials on the pro-resource project. Right, he's trying to have it bo- both ways. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that you anticipate that Trudeau himself will be in front of the cameras making this announcement tomorrow. So does he want to be the face of this pipeline now, or does he put out one of his cabinet ministers to well, front it? Well, it'll be interesting whether Catherine McKenna or uh, Bill Morneau. Will be, I mean, Morneau's ministry bought the pipeline. It's yeah. Crown Corporation. I have a feeling, though, and I don't know this for sure, I have a feeling Justin Trudeau is going to put himself front and center. He has to sort of associate himself with issues that are not SNC-Lavalin or all those the various scandals. He's got to be out there uh, taking a bit of a risk on this issue, but yeah. I still think it's a calculated move, and it, it ended up being a positive one for him. Thanks for coming in. All right. That is Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. And this is interesting, brand new opinion poll out from the Angus Reid polling group. And this one looks at feelings that Canadians have around loneliness and connection to their family and friends. Some interesting findings here. Let's check in with uh, Dave Korzynski, now Research Associate at the Angus Reid Institute. Hi, Dave. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Thanks a lot for coming on. This is interesting findings here you've got in this poll. Uh, some of the ones that jump out at me are the large number of Canadians who feel like they're lonely, maybe isolated, and like to have more connections to their family and friends. What jumps out at you here in the numbers? Yeah, it's an interesting lead-in because you guys are going from you know a, a gigantic community celebration that really united people and had everybody going out to bars and and you know participating with their friends and meeting new people, and then we go to um, a survey that really finds that there's a, a huge portion of the population that is really lacking in terms of um, their their connection and just their their overall sense of of uh, the quality of their their relationships. Yeah. So um, yeah. it's it's important to note that you know for for our purposes, social isolation is different from loneliness insofar as 
you know, isolation is more dependent on your community and, and your objective actions, how many people you're seeing, whereas loneliness is really a feeling and, and you're feeling that, you know, what you would like to see for your life is not really what you're getting and you might not be having the relationship quality or, or the number of relationships that you like. And, you know, you've got 29% of the Canadian population that says that they feel very isolated. They're, you know, they're, they're not out, uh, you know, they're probably not the people that are out at the celebration right now. They have a harder time kind of getting um, into their communities and even spending time with, with friends and family. And on the other end of the spectrum, you know, you've got about a quarter of the population that are doing really well. And, and it's interesting to see all of the things that kind of tie people together and, and what the impacts are of, of uh, certain kind of social trends on, on this area of research. Okay, some interesting stuff, the findings there. Dave Korzynski is my guest, Angus Reed Institute. Dave, I guess um, I guess what jumped out at me on, the, on these numbers looking at it this morning was that loneliness and I guess an isol- isolation, I suppose, sadly, is just a, a fact of life in our society going back a long, a long time. I mean, it's just kind of unavoidable in some ways. But I wonder if these numbers jump out at you and indicate that maybe technology uh, drive some of this? Like if people are feeling more disconnected and isolated because they're living their lives online through a cell phone or through, you know, other in- interconnectivity, do you think, is is there any indication of that? Yeah, you know, there's a couple of things there. That, first, you know, younger people are more likely to say that they feel isolated. And, and I think a lot of that is the these type of relationships that a lot of people have. You know, we've got that, that group is categorized as 18 to 34. And and people who are even, you know, younger than millennials, the the Gen Y, I think we're calling them, um, really do spend a lot of time with these, these uh, you know, Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook type relationships. And, right. and there, is, there is a sense that it's a little bit uh, of a hollow type of interaction. But that said, um, you know, people who, who do use social media or text or email to stay in touch with people, um, of all age groups are actually quite uh, they're quite positive about it. You know, seventy one percent of people who say that they use something like FaceTime or or their iMessaging to video call with people say that they actually appreciate it because it makes them feel more connected rather than you know they're concerned about the face to face contact. So it's kind of a it, it, there's good elements of it and there's bad elements and and certainly young people are searching for more in terms of the quality of their relationships, but these are tools that people do use that help them to stay in touch over long distances and with friends and family that they might not be able to see. Yeah, friends and family is so important. I think the family unit is such a, is such a crucial thing in our society. I mean, you take a look at some of these other numbers in your, in your survey, Dave, that shows that one-third, 33% of people, which is a lot, saying they, def- they could not definitively say if they could count on family family or friends to help them out through an emergency this is a pretty big number yeah when you think of the you know your kind of social network and the things that you would rely on people for you know, it's it's really valuable to have somebody to lean on um, both in a social sense uh, if, you, if you're looking for emotional support and then if you're looking for maybe you're running into some financial trouble and, and like you said you've got 33% of Canadians who say that if they ran into a financial issue, they actually don't know anybody that they would be able to reach out to. And then that, that one in five who say that even if they're looking for somebody for emotional support, they, they're not sure they'd be able to find someone. And that, that kind of leads into another one of my uh, kind of key takeaways from this is that you know, one in five people in Canada uh, say that they haven't had a meaningful conversation about their life with, with anybody within, uh, you know, when they think about the last year or so, they, they rarely or never do that. 
Um, so that really, that group of people are really um, quite isolated, and it, a lot of them actually, when you ask them if they if they wish that other people had reached out to them more, say that you know it would go a long way if if maybe their friends or family would reach out to them. And also there's a personal aspect. They realize that maybe they should be doing more of that themselves. So it goes both ways. But I think when you're trying to overcome these issues, you've got to be aware and, and just think about people in your life that maybe you haven't talked to for a while, yeah. who, uh, especially older people, you know, that might not have um, quite the meaningful relationships that they used to have. Yeah, maybe it's a wake-up call for people to keep those connections alive, right, or to reach out, reach out and connect again with people maybe you've lost touch with. Yeah, and maybe you're yeah. maybe you use uh, use FaceTime or something because like people yeah. like I said, people that are using it say that it's quite a valuable tool, and there certainly is a desire for more meaningful relationships and and just kind of general contact with your neighbors and community, which is you know something I think we could all use a little bit more of. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. That is Dave Korzynski. He's a research associate at the Angus Reid Institute talking about that new survey on isolation and loneliness. Let's keep talking about one of the hot stories we're talking about on the show today, and that is the scheduled visit by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. to speak at a, an event put on by the Surrey Board of Trade. Of course, the son of the uh, the late U.S. Senator Robert F. Kennedy Jr. had made a name for himself in the past as an environmental leader, as a lawyer. But lately, seems to be more controversial around his anti-vaccination views. He's become known as one of the most high-profile anti-vaxxers. And now the backlash underway to the Surrey Board of Trade asking the guy to speak here. Now, have a listen to this. This is Anita Huberman. She is the head of the Board of Trade, speaking earlier today. He is not talking about vaccination. We've made that very clear uh, in the arrangement that we made with him. Uh, he is speaking strictly to his uh, environmental work as well as his work on water resources and, of course, Silicon Valley. Hey, despite that, some people think he shouldn't be allowed to speak anyway because it legitimizes him, gives him a platform maybe for his anti-vaccination views outside of this event in Surrey. Anita Huberman saying they're here, they've heard the controversy, they anticipated a backlash, but they're sticking by their man. They say he will be speaking at their conference coming up in September. Let's check our hot question of the day on this, which is, do you think uh, Robert F. Kennedy should be allowed uh, to speak? Now, 40% of you now saying that he should not, he should be allowed to speak, 40%. 60% saying he should not be allowed to speak at this event. So 60% in favor of saying to Robert F. Kennedy, let's cancel the invite, take away the welcome mat. We don't want you here now. Let's check in with Dr. Eric Kadeski now. He's a Vancouver doctor. He is the past president of Doctors BC. Been following him on Twitter on this one today. Dr. Kadeski, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. And I just want to mention that I am speaking in a personal capacity today. Everything I'll discuss is my own opinion and my own experience. Okay, good. I'm glad you I'm glad you said that because I've been just checking out your Twitter feed, and man, you're really, you're really letting the Surrey Board of Trade have it here. You think it's a bad idea to invite this guy to be a speaker, right? This is a terrible idea. We're in the middle of an expertise crisis where, as a doctor, every day I'm faced with patients who don't know what to believe. They're bombarded with information on social media. And we know that people are trying to get them to buy things and to click on advertisements. 
that are profiting them. But unfortunately, these decisions that are being peddled are causing worse health. We're in the middle of a measles outbreak. There are over a thousand cases in the States. uh, And yet we have someone coming who spreads lies and personally profits from people not vaccinating their children. How does how does he personally profit from it? He has a long uh, history of association with people who sell alternative vaccines and yeah. alternatives uh, to to and treatments for autism. And so, for him saying that vaccines like measles, mumps, rubella cause autism, something that has been absolutely disproven time and time again, yeah. he is personally profiting from that. Not only that, but his own personal brand as a crusader around the world. And uh, that's unfortunate that uh, Ms. Huberman was mentioning that because she said, you know, he, it's unfortunate that he has these anti-vaccine views, but we're really interested in his other views. The yeah. problem is there's a halo effect that when you give someone a stage and when you give them a microphone, that they are seen as an expert, and they are seen as an expert on other things. And so it's a bit like saying, you know, it's really unfortunate that Vladimir Putin has uh, these terrible views on human rights atrocities, but you know what, he's a great speaker. Let's have him come and speak to our youth group on physical activity. Okay, is there a free speech argument? We have heard some some of our callers on the open line today saying, well, what are we going to do? We're going to start checking the background of every single public speaker that's invited to a public event in B.C., and if we don't like their opinions on something else, they're not allowed to speak? I mean, is, is that go against free speech in, in our country? Well, um, you have the right to do what you want so long as it doesn't interfere with the rights of other people. And yeah. when we have a measles outbreak, when we have distrust in uh, science and fact that that is something that is a huge threat to our society, and we see that uh, every day. And so he has the right to say what he wants, but when he starts to spread outright lies that are threatening our society and threatening the trust that people have with their healthcare providers in the scientific process and the immunization that we've been doing safely and effectively for decades, it is a threat, and he should not have a platform to spread those lies. Okay, I'm speaking to Dr. Eric Kadeski here now about the scheduled visit by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. to this to the Surrey Board of Trade. I mean, when you listen to Kennedy talk about these vaccination issues, and I spent some time just going back over some of his public comments this morning, he frequently will say, I'm not anti-vaccine, I'm pro-safe vaccine. So he criticizes things like the trace presence of mercury as a preservative in some vaccines and he's got concerns about that i mean is that legitimate way for him to to describe it like i'm just worried about the safety i'm not against vaccines i'm pro safety yeah this is part of the new language and the perversion of language that we're, we're seeing with the rise of populism around the world that there's no such thing as propaganda it's all fake news there's no one who will call themselves an anti-vaxxer. In fact, they, if you look at what happened with Jessica Biel going down with her husband, Justin Timberlake, to the, the lawmakers in California, they said, I'm just about debate. I'm just about choice. Well, that's the new language. That's the dog whistle to tell people that really what they are is anti-vaccine. But they know if they say that, that no one will listen to them. So it's just a new term that people are using for themselves so that they'll be able to have the kind of platform that the Surrey Board of Trade proposes to give to Mr. Kennedy. Okay, before he became this high-profile anti-vaxxer, I remember 
interviewing this guy 20 years ago about the the environment, environmental protection, and he was an environmental crusader. I think his anti-vax reputation has kind of overshadowed uh, the work he's done in the environment. But when you hear the Surrey Board of Trade say, look, look, no, we're not bringing this guy in to talk about vaccines. He's coming here to talk about clean tech jobs in the environment. Does that make it okay? There are so many people, local, nationally, and international, who can speak about clean technology, who can speak about going green, who can speak about the economic analysis of why we can do what's right for the environment and help it, and have it help the economy. So with such a wide variety of people that we can call on, why this particular person and the harm that's going to bring, and why paint your organization especially when Fraser Health has seen declining rates of measles, mumps, rubella vaccination. We know we need about 95% of the population to be vaccinated. And the rates in Surrey have gone down into the 80s. So in the middle of this, it just seems quite myopic, harmful, uh, and unfortunate. And so I'm really hoping that what they'll say is we've got great local speakers who would be delighted to come and speak. We have uh, people who will give us... information from what's happening around the world and they've been in silicon valley and they bring everything that mr kennedy does except they also have views that are consistent with reality as we know it thanks for coming on thank you so much for taking the time you bet i appreciate it dr eric kadeski he is a vancouver doctor he's the past president of doctors of bc but you heard him stress there he's not speaking on behalf of doctors of bc this is his personal opinion and he's he's not holding back at all if you follow this uh, dr kadeski on twitter just really letting uh, the surrey board of trade have it I'm, I'm very pleased to welcome trevor hargreaves now he's the vice president of government relations on the from the bc real estate association and we're going to talk uh, about uh, marijuana grow ops in our province and with the potential for more grow ops happening now that weed is legal trevor hargreaves thanks for coming on yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, a, a difficult to uh, segue to the conversation in the midst of this breaking news. It, it is, and we're we're conti- and like I said, we're continuing to just keep an incredibly close eye on that for you. And as soon as we get any more information, right now, police just responding to these reports right now. And um, yeah, we're we're following that for you. So as soon as we got anything, we will tell you what is happening there. So Trevor, um, let's let's talk about uh, marijuana grow ops now and not an uncommon situation in our province but with uh, marijuana being legal now and you can legally grow well just four plants in your home uh, there's some thoughts about maybe more grow ops happening and this can have a big impact on uh, the value of a house right if a house has had a grow op in it right oh absolutely it's yeah. uh it's a complicated quagmire if you own one of those houses and you're trying to sell them Okay, what happens right now? I mean, you guys are looking for some sort of inter- intervention from the provincial government here to make this uh, a better situation that if there, if there is a marijuana grow up in a house, that the house can be fixed up, it can be made safe, and then put on the market to be resold. Especially important in a province where we got a housing crunch. Absolutely. I mean, supply and demand is ongoingly uh, a major issue here. And, you know, I think at the same time, there's no argument that over the last year with federalization of cannabis policy, uh, what it's really done is it's created an increasing gray area because you have this intersection of so many different uh, policy arenas. You know, right, right now, when it comes to identifying remediation, it's a municipal issue. 
and the municipalities differ in their interpretation of size and scale of what was a grow-up. So you don't have a blanket policy right across the province, and what that really creates now is more and more confusion. You know, um, sometimes it's viewed as a very small-scale scenario. If you grew four plants, that qualifies as having been a former drug operation, whereas now that's federally legal. So as you can see, you know, these are issues that uh, municipally we need to get onto very quickly as a province, and, and certainly the, uh, the easiest way to do this, I think, is to for the province uh, and, the, and the provincial government to take a lead on this and standardize the policy. Okay, the opposition Liberals have put in a private member's bill in front of the B.C. legislature to do something like that, to bring in some standard remediation rules for a marijuana grow-op home. Of course, uh, private member's bills usually don't go anywhere in the B.C. legislature. You need the government to, to act on this. I know you had a meeting about this with uh, Mike Farnworth, the Solicitor General, recently. How did that go? You know, he is certainly in support, and I'd say within that government he is you know, one of the strongest supporters, but I think he also recognizes what a complex environment it is when you're involving, you know, federal legislation coming up against provincial legislation paired with municipal legislation. The other aspect as well is, you know, in terms of the risks to citizens, you have environmental issues, you have health issues, you have regional health boards that have their own jurisdiction and rules, you know, so what you can see moving forward is there's a lot of seats at the table. Uh, What we're really recommending is the time has come that we need to get this moving. You know, it's a it's, it's time for the province to be preemptive about this because before it becomes a larger and larger problem. Why is it a problem? Well, you know, if you look at it, if you own a property and, you, you know, it's, it's being identified as a former drug operation, I think it's strong policy to make sure that the qualification uh, of what that drug operation is uh, is standardized right across the province so that, you know, the, the definition is the same. Uh, and then in terms of the steps of identifying it, uh, looking at what the issues are and remediating it, you know, what we want to see is a blanket policy on how to do that right across the board. That'll make it easier in terms of protecting, you know, potential uh, buyers from buying properties where they've been properly identified. And secondarily, it makes it a lot easier in terms of, you know, financing and lending because, uh, you know, banks are very cautious about, uh, let you know, providing lending uh, for buyers who are interested in buying one of these properties. Same with insurance. Uh, and then the other aspect as well is just, you know, all of the health and environmental risks associated with these operations. They can, you know, there can be mold, there can be wiring issues, there can be a variety of issues. Uh, and, you know, the best way to get on top of this provincially is for a standard blanket set of policy. Trevor, thanks for coming on. Important issue. Continue to follow it. Thanks a lot. Yeah, no problem at all. Thank That's you. Tr- Trevor Hargreaves. He's the Vice President of Government Relations for the BC Real Estate Association. Ah, that's the music we all want to hear. Take us away from all our troubles. Claire Newell, president and founder of Travel uh, Best Bets. Hiya, Claire. Uh, hi, Mike. You know what? I should really keep it locked to CKNW like 24-7 because I just heard that news, and that is horrific. Very, very you know frightening what? in Toronto. You know what? When you took a look at the the scale of that crowd today, I mean, it was so massive and people climbing up massive, on signs. yeah. And- you just sort of hope for the best. You're like, okay, I hope everyone's going to be safe here. The worst possible thing you could hear is an active shooter. But like I said, that that just out from the Toronto Police Department there that it looks like it's been contained and nobody, uh, no fatality. So this is the best, you know, for now, the best possible outcome we, I guess we could hope for in a situation like that. But, Absolutely. No yeah. question. No question, Mike. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
It's one of the things I tell people when they travel is if there is some big event, like a big rally, or particularly if it's a protest, not a situation normally like this when everyone's celebrating, but, um, you know, these types of things when you're traveling, especially in a foreign country, it's one of yep. those things to just keep in the back of your mind. Anyway, I do want to talk about something that um, can be scary, and it's okay. scary for parents. Um, and we're coming up to the end of the school year very, very quickly, and lots and lots of people will be putting their kids on aircraft. It could be to visit, you know, Nana and Grandpa, or it could be to go to a camp, whatever it might be. And the reality is, Mike, millions of kids fly alone each year, majority without incident. But, you know, there are some horror stories. There was a uh, one that comes to mind is the JetBlue mix-up of two little boys. They were sent to the wrong airports. Oh. So... <laughs> Time, yeah. So it's just, it's really important to be prepared if you're a parent. And um, I wanted to give some general age guidelines for unaccompanied minors. So if you are thinking about sending your child, just remember that there are age restrictions and the airline rules vary. But here's a good idea of what to expect. Okay. So children age one to four may only fly with a parent. There's no way that they can go as unaccompanied minors. They, in almost every case, a child has to be at least five years old to fly solo. Um, kids that are five to seven, in most cases, need to take a direct flight to a single destination, no connecting flights. And that's for obvious reasons. You know, it's kind of scary and convoluted. Um, but once the kids are eight, um, in most cases, they can change aircraft with some airlines and will typically be escorted by the airline personnel to their connecting flight. So it's really straightforward. They normally wear a, a tag that identifies them. Um, one thing, though, is that anyone under the age of 17 who's flying alone on an international flight, yeah. they if they're doing that, they most likely will have to produce a signed letter of consent from a parent or a responsible adult um in lots of cases that has to be notarized so depending on the airline you have to kind of go by those guidelines and it's not cheap 50 to 150 dollars each way and that exact amount depends again the airline the age of the child and um whether the flight involves connections right uh or not how about keeping kids happy and occupied, like, you know, the old <laughs> trick of the old iPad? I remember when my kids were little, and you always say, well, you don't want a kid to be locked to a screen all the time. Hey, when you're traveling, okay. you got to do what you got to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Don't be a martyr. <laughs> yeah. Make sure your kid's happy. So, yeah, absolutely. Make sure that they have plenty of things to keep them entertained. A tablet stocked with games and maybe some favorite books would be a an essential, of, as well as um, anything else that they love. So if the kids are little and they have a certain doll or stuffy that they want, that's going to be important. And some snacks. You know, I always typically yeah. say... Healthy snacks are great. This might be a time to have some other fun finger fruit um, foods. If you're going domestically, throw in some easy, healthy, like grapes or berries. Yeah. But chips, I don't know. I think kids really love a little <laughs> bit of candy and a little bit of chips on those types of flights, especially if they're long. It's a little bit of a treat for them. Um, I always suggest that people get to the airport early. Mm. Um, never, ever, ever wait until you've reached the airport to tell the airline that you have a minor traveling unaccompanied. You have to provide all sorts of information, including potentially filling out quite um, significant forms. Like they have to have the child's name, age, and other relevant information. And one of the things that's also important is to remember is that the airline actually will 
be release your child if it's an unaccompanied minor flying with the airline to the responsible adult named before you like before you depart so you know if it's a a nana or a papa whoever that might be the legal name and they're gonna have to show id you know they're not just gonna let the kid go to some random right so i always say it's also really important to make sure that your child not only has the name and knows the name of whoever's picking them up but a photo especially if they're little and on the back just when you've given them that printout of the the picture of who's picking them up put the person's full name address phone number it just, it's one thing, and then they can give that to whoever from the airline is with them, and it just, you know, kind of connects all the dots and makes sure your child's released to the right person. I think for a lot of parents, it might be a little worrisome if they have to send their kids alone on a flight for whatever reason, but I think overall, Claire, what do you think about the, how the airlines handle this? It seems to me like the airlines do a pretty darn good job on this. Unbelievable. Literally yeah. millions of kids might fly alone, and they, they yeah. really are... Very, very, very few cases that I've ever heard go awry. Like, I barely hear one a year even. I don't even think I hear that. Um, it, it makes big news when it actually happens. So um, don't be afraid to do it. Again, you have to read and go through the, the airline's little policies on their website. Um, but I, in, in general, it's a no, normally a no-brainer as long as you've kind of walked your kids through um, and you know your kids as well. Like just right. because a kid's five and they can go solo, it doesn't mean your five-year-old will be able to handle it. So assess your own child. Okay, Claire, let's get to your your deals. You always got some great ones. What do you got today? Okay, well, the first one I've got for you is Los Cabos, Mexico. And this uh, is leaving October the 7th. It's Air and Seven Nights, four-star beachfront, all-inclusive resort. And for those who know the Rio properties, this is the Rio Santa Fe 765 Taxes of 460. It works out to 1225, $1,225. So this next one needs a little bit of explaining. And the first thing I'm going to mention, Mike, is that it has to be booked by tomorrow. It is going nutty in the office because of it. And it almost sold out. We got 15 more cabins 10 minutes before I came on. I actually told the producers, it's gone, it's gone, and we brought it back. It's a 10-night Hawaii cruise leaving April 10th of 2020. So it leaves from Vancouver, crosses the Pacific, goes through the Hawaiian Islands, and then you fly home. The flight, the 10-night cruise and transfers all included. Now, I think at $14.99 plus $3.98, that's a deal. So $18.97, right? Yeah. That's a pretty good deal. Sure. But if you book it by tomorrow, the cruise line, which is Celebrity, are giving three bonuses. You get the beverage package included, prepaid gratuities, and a $300 onboard credit. Wow. So it's basically an all-inclusive cruise. Details are on the website. Not sure how long that one's going to last. Do we have time for another one, or should we just leave it with that unreal deal? No, I think that's a pretty unreal deal uh, for sure. But no, we got time. Let's do another one. Okay, you know what? I'm going to switch it up then because that deal, that company has such a great deal. Here's another one of those types with the bonuses, and this one has a little bit more time. It has to be booked by July the 8th. It's it's over a year away, Mike, but it's a five-night Pacific cruise sailing round trip from Vancouver. It's a five-nighter. So Vancouver, Astoria, Seattle, Victoria, back to Vancouver, um, 499 
taxes of two ninety three. It works up to seven hundred and ninety two dollars. But if you book it by July eighth, you get the beverage package and a three hundred and seventy five US onboard credit. Whoa, what's the beverage package? Free booze? Yeah. Yeah, right. (laughs) So four ninety nine. So it's five night, a five night cruise, meals, entertainment, drinks. Um like it's just it's a great buy. Anyway, all the details for both of those cruises as well as that Cabo deal are on the website. I I I know it's complicated, but they're just such good deals. Okay, what's the website again, Claire? It's travelbestbets.com. All right, Claire, thanks a lot. Thanks so much, Mike. Okay, that's Claire Newell. She is the founder and president of Travel Best Bets with some pretty smoking deals there today.